0: All right. How's everybody doing? Awesome. It's a beautiful day out. So um, for those of you who don't know me, um, I think a lot of you probably know me, some of you don't. My name is Blake Philippi. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself first. So that'll be fun. Um, I'm going to tell you about my experience at Terra. I've been at Terra Nova now for a little over 10 years. Um, I was coming here on and off when I was in college and um, ended up moving back home, coming to the church and um, getting involved getting involved as an intern, um, kind of around the same time that Pastor Bill came to the community. Um, so I worked with Bill, I worked with Dennis a lot, um, and that was a lot, of, a lot of really cool interactions for me. Um, I serve now as a tribe group leader uh, for our Troy tribe, which is really fun. It's been really rewarding experience doing that over the last number of years. I also serve in our Redemption group team, which is a really cool ministry that if you don't know what that is, ask somebody about that, it's really cool. Um, and super encouraging ministry that we offer here at the church. Um, I also preach here once or twice a year, uh, maybe not as much during COVID. I'm starting to catch on to the elders, I think, that when they're starting to feel a little self-conscious about their preaching abilities, they throw me up here to make themselves look a little bit better. And that's what's happening right now. So... (laughs) Um, that's kind of who I am at Terranova. Uh, my full-time job, I work at Loudonville Christian School, which is an independent Christian school over in Latham. Um, I serve there as the Director of Students and Spiritual Life. Um, It's really cool. I I have the opportunity to work pretty closely with students, um, counsel them through social-emotional needs, do a lot of leadership development. I run our chapel services, which you'll get to experience something that we do in chapel over at Loudonville today. We're going to try something new in here today. Um, I serve as our Bible department head. I get to teach some New Testament survey courses in philosophy. Um, I actually get to work alongside uh, Tori. Uh, He teaches our Old Testament survey course. I teach the New Testament survey course. The kids like his course more. He starts his class out with a dad joke at the beginning of every class. I try to steal it from him. It doesn't work, and yeah, it doesn't work for me. Um, So why am I telling you all about, why am I telling you about my life? Um, I guess I just want to share with those of you who don't me. We're going to be teaching. I'm going to be working through some scriptures, and I think it's important for you to know who I am, where I'm coming from when we're journeying through uh, God's word together and how um, we're connected through the church. Um, also I just want you to know enough about me to make a kind of informed decision as to whether or not you want to tune me out for the next half hour or so. That's totally up to you. Um, also because I wanted to mention our chapel services at Loudonville. So what I do at Loudonville, um, when I preach, I don't preach there too often, but when I do, I like to give students space in the moment to jot down some notes, uh, from what they're hearing in the sermon, um, so what I do is I pause a couple of times throughout the sermon, I ask a question, and there's going to be some questions on this screen back here. We're going to try that out. So there's going to be a few times today where I'm going to say, hey, it's a good time to take a break and take out your phone, or if you don't have a phone somehow, and you uh, want to like write down some stuff, I'm sure there's somebody back there with pen or paper, I don't know. Um... But we're going to pause, and there's going to be some questions for like a minute. Rob's going to have some music on in the background. We're going to listen and just kind of reflect through writing on what you're hearing. Um, I found that to be a really uh, encouraging and way for students to solidify what they're hearing and to reflect on later. And my hope is that you take some notes and then are able to maybe process those things in your tribes or in the people who you're you're doing life with together. So... um, that's kind of where we are started. Before we get started in the passage, actually, also, I just want to say thanks to Rob and Tori and Bill for the preaching opportunity. But um, also, more importantly, just thank you to you guys uh, for the—it's really cool to be up here in this new location. So thank you to you guys for all the hard work you're putting into this transition that we are facing as a church, right? We have a loss of a pastor. We have a location change. There's a lot to manage. There's a lot of concerns that you guys have been addressing, um, maintaining the day-to-day functionality of the church, lots of time and energy that you guys put into this. And you guys have done so with grace and wisdom, and you've made this place have a super positive environment and culture, and it's really awesome, and it feels like home. So thank you to the elders for for all the hard work they're doing um, to make this place uh, what it is. Um, okay, that's all the nice things we am going to say about them. We're going to dive into our passage. So last week, Tori... Um, Preach that of Matthew chapter 18 verses 1 through 9. And this week I'm going to journey through w- verses 10 through 14 that you just heard Rob uh, uh, read through. But before beginning, um, before diving in, I want to like, share some comments about chapter 18 as a whole that I think are really important to know, particularly when it comes to the passage that we're working with today. Many scholars agree that Matthew is kind of, the gospel of Matthew as a whole is built on these five discourses. Um, That kind of uh, provide the structure throughout the book. So the discourses are these big sections of um, sayings of Jesus that are put together in a way that they point to this unified theme. We see five of them throughout um, the gospel and what happened was sayings of Jesus would be circulating throughout the early church. Um, And Matthew would take them and he'd he'd organize them in a way that he wants to prove a point in certain areas of his gospel. Um, And as an example, we have um, maybe the Sermon on the Mount as one of the discourses in the Gospel of Matthew. And then earlier in chapter 13, um, we see a third discourse where we see parable after parable after parable of these different sayings that have this nuanced way of viewing the kingdom of God. Right? And each section is a little different in that chapter, but they all kind of work together to point to the same topic. It's called the parabolic discourse because of all the parables. It's very creative. Um, and that's what we have going on here in chapter 18. We have what scholars will say our fourth discourse. Um, and this discourse is really important to understand, is centered on Christian community. Asking the question, what does it look like to actually be the church um, so before we dive into our specific passage, I want to take a really broad look at the chapter, at chapter 18 as a whole, to see how our passage is going to fit in and how it correlates to what we learned last week from Tori. Um, there's got obviously going to be some repeat from last week, but um, it's helpful to recall it. So the chapter starts off with a question that the disciples approached with Jesus. Does anybody remember the question that the disciples approached Jesus with last week? Who's who's the greatest in the kingdom? Awesome. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And that question reveals that the disciples have this drastic misunderstanding of what Christian community looks like. Um, Jesus then takes the opportunity to teach his disciples, and that's the discourse that we have. The disciples, who will be the future leaders of the church, are going to learn about church community. So in general, the big picture of chapter 18 as a whole is that discipleship is worked out, is not worked out in isolation, but in life together as a church, right? The focus is on Christian community. So in this discourse, Jesus is going to instruct his disciples that the kingdom is a place where the least, right, we learned this, the least are greatest. The little ones that Jesus refers to, the outcasts, the marginalized, come first, The lost are found and forgiveness is abundant. So as a result, there's no place for pride. We talked about pride last week. There's no place for pride in Christian community because it comes from a place where sin is not taken seriously and is significantly damaging to Christian community. Pride should be fought at all costs, no matter the consequences. That's kind of the big picture of chapter 18. And in this discourse, Jesus is painting this really, really beautiful picture of what God's original intention for humanity is like, and, and it's toward the center of this discourse where we find our passage for today. So that's kind of a big picture. So as we approach our passage, though, we start to narrow in on our verses. Um, there's one big idea that I want you to meditate on, and that probably will be up on the screen behind me. There it is. Great work. Um, And the big idea is this, understanding the original intention of God for humanity. So when we understand God's intention for humanity, it persuades us to abandon our own pride and to pursue the mission of God to those who are struggling and oppressed. The community of the church is missional in nature. I'm going to say it again, understanding the original intention of God for humanity persuades us to abandon our own pride. And pursue that mission, pursue the mission of God to those who are struggling and oppressed around us. The community of the church is missional in nature. Okay, so to start, how are we going to get there? We're going to start by looking at the heart of God for Christian community. Um, Here we're going to see that pride elevates the self and causes suffering to people around me. In such a way that it actually devalues the value that God places on other people. Next, we're going to look at the intentionality of God to establish Christian community. We're going to see that the purpose of Christianity is that everyone should flourish, not just the prideful, and that God actively works within the community to seek out those who are struggling and oppressed. And then last, we're going to look at the character of God who is the source of Christian community. We'll see that nothing will stand in the way the will of God and his intention for humanity to experience his original design for them. So it's with that in mind that we're going to kind of dive in to our passage for today, starting in verse 10. And if you read verse 10 um, and you do some research on it, we're going to find out that it is a concluding statement through to verses one through nine that we journeyed through last week. So what Matthew is going to do is going to summarize everything that uh, Jesus has been teaching in verses 1 through 9. So, really quickly, we're going to review a little bit from last week. You guys all good with that? All right. Um, quick recap of last week without going verse by verse. What are the themes that emerged? To start, the disciples approach Jesus and ask the question, Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Right? Question's interesting because it reveals that the disciples might be aware that greatness in the kingdom is is a little bit different than greatness measured by culture and society, or else they wouldn't be asking the question. At the time, the Jews uh, had been living under Roman rule for a while, so greatness for them was known as this function of wealth, or education, or social status, or lineage, or power to be exercised over other people, and Matthew's Jewish audience that's going to be reading this letter is embedded with Roman culture, so they probably perceived greatness in that way as well, and they likely carried that into their church communities. Um, but in the passage, though, even the disciples, they had an idea that something was different, but they still don't get it. Their question implies this hierarchy of status within the Christian community, um, And that's not, and Jesus answers in a really profound way. So Jesus answers that greatness in the kingdom is in direct contrast to the greatness of the empire or the greatness of the world or the culture at large. And we remember from last week, that Jesus draws a child into the midst of the disciples when he's teaching them this. A child. The image of humanity without status, the image of humanity without power, who at the time is treated as insignificant and powerless, Jesus uses as an image of the greatness of the kingdom of God. Jesus's identification with the child with the lowly is so much a part of who he is that he'll say in those verses, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. He identifies with the lowly. And then Jesus will move on to address this misunderstanding of the kingdom by challenging individual ambition, right? The ambitions of the heart. One must turn and become like a child. Jesus challenges the disciples to consider their ambitions in their discipleship journey. And he challenges us to do the same. So do our hearts long for status? Do they long for power? Do they long for money? Do they long for fame or anything else that the world offers? Or do they long for him? A child doesn't care about those things. A child doesn't care about status. A child recognizes their dependence on their parent, and in this case, Our dependence on the Father. So the aim of the chapter as a whole is centered on the idea of Christian community, and Jesus is making it really clear that pride has no place in the hearts of the members of that community. Um, And what we came to realize through that last week is that pride actually negatively impacts It's not not just inward, it negatively impacts the life of the community and restricts people around me from flourishing. So as Jesus begins to prove this point, he begins to use this phrase, little ones, which we're going to see in our passage today. So who are the little ones? It's an interesting phrase. Jesus uses it as a reference to kind of the general Christian community at large, Um, but it's also used with a connotation that implies struggle. Or weakness, or a sense of being outcast. So the little ones are the marginalized of the Christian community. Um, Throughout the chapter and other areas of Matthew, Jesus will use this term kind of ambiguously to leave it open to interpretation, but also to link the passages together so we know that this discourse is all pointing at the same thing. So moving forward, after dealing with internal pride, Jesus turns his attention to life within the community. We have some pretty like, serious passages that Jesus throws out there. How do people within Christian community, how do they engage? It should be selflessly. Right? Um, members of the community, we, we learned this, members of the community should care enough about each other not to cause each other to stumble, right? lest they face really dire consequences. I remember um, the imagery of the millstone dragging a person down to the depths of the ocean ocean. We saw Jesus warn his disciples about the dangers of causing particularly the little ones to stumble. Community is pointed at flourishing in Christian community, not causing one another to sin. Even Jesus's comments on sin, on the severity of internally fighting sin, are aimed at the Christian community. He'll say, woe to the one by whom temptation comes. So fight sin so that you aren't tempting other people. It's all about Christian community. So that's kind of a quick recap of what we journeyed through last week in verses 1 through 9 um, through the through the lens of our parable of the lost, lost sheep. That brings us back to verse 10, which is the author, Matthew, is calling to mind everything that has just transpired has a lot to do with the parable he's about to, to um, work through. So Jesus will say, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you, and here's here's a fun verse. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So that's kind of strange, right? Um, The little ones have angels that are with God. Um, And it seems a little bit strange, but if we understand a little bit of Jewish tradition... Um, It makes a lot of sense and actually provides a lot of insight into the heart of what's happening here. So first century Judaism, right, maintains a tradition that angels watched over people and angels watched over different nations, which is kind of cool. Even more, though, there's this hierarchy of angels in the tradition, uh, and the angels who are of the highest status or the highest sense of prestige, the the most popular or well-known or uh, whatever, highest... Uh, most powerful angels were always in the presence of God or always saw the face of God. So Jesus's statement in verse 10 is very, very profound. He says, don't despise the little ones, the outcasts in your community, because their angels are of the highest status. He uses this tradition surrounding guardian angels to make a point. And he says that Those who are the outcasts, those who are the little ones, those who are struggling in their faith, those who are low in status in their community, they are the ones who are of the highest status and highest priority to God. Those who, as a result of the pride of others that we worked through in ourselves last week, as a result of the pride of others, have no place in Christian community, have been pushed aside of Christian community, who are not flourishing in Christian community who are afflicted by the pride of others in the community, are deeply valued by God and sought after him. Jesus' teaching on pride in this verse is finalized. He um, ultimately will say that pride is this elevation of self, right? So much so that it afflicts other people. My pride afflicts the people around me. Pride not only leads to inward sin, but it causes people around me to suffer in such a way that I devalue the thing, the people that God has valued really greatly. So I'm in direct contradiction to God's design for a Christian community. Jesus puts pride in direct contradiction to a flourishing Christian community. So last week, we were all faced with recognizing pride in our lives um, now we face the consequences of our pride um, as it damages the people around us as we don't engage well in Christian community. So it's with that in mind that we're going to pause and take some time to reflect. So here I'm going to ask you to take out your phones, take out something to write it with or write on. We're going to have like a minute for you to um, just write down some notes. I have a couple of questions we're going to put on the board. I think we have some music for the, the background. So Jesus teaches that pride, as you're getting your phones out, Jesus teaches that pride elevates self, right, to the detriment of those around us and has a deeply negative impact on a flourishing Christian community. So the first question I want us to work through today is this. In what way do you recognize pride negatively affecting or impacting your experience of Christian community? In what way does pride negatively impact your experience of Christian community? And as you journey through that, I'll give you some, some thoughts. Maybe you are the one that's struggling with pride, right? And you've cast others aside, maybe subconsciously you don't want to engage with certain people, um, and I've ignored the needs that I know people have around me, right? So I'm not helping people to flourish in community. Or maybe you feel like an outcast, Right? Because others are too caught up in themselves to recognize that you're really struggling and do need help and aren't flourishing. Or maybe in my pride, I don't feel like I need Christian community because I'm all good. Right? So what are the ways that pride negatively impacts Christian community? I'll give you about 20 to 30 more seconds to journal through that for a second. All right. So again, I I really do encourage you to to consider those questions, and I'm going to urge you at the end of this whole thing to take them to people you're doing life with. We're talking about Christian community. Take the things that you're realizing about yourself to the people you do life with and work through them well with each other. So moving on. We just worked through the heart of god for christian community right and we saw that pride elevates the self and causes the suffering of the people around me in such a way that it devalues the value that god places on people and now we're going to look at the intentionality of god to establishing flourishing christian community particularly for those little ones who are suffering so god is going to be intentional to establish flourishing when we create division he's going to establish community all right. And if you notice in the verses, uh, I don't know if you notice this in your Bible, it's not up there, we're skipping over verse 11, right, we're going from verse 10 to verse 12, um, the earliest manuscripts don't include it, doesn't seem like it's Matthew's original writing, doesn't seem super important to the text, I'm not going to include it, if somebody feels really strongly about that, that's totally fine, I'm sure Tori would be happy to engage with you on that topic. <laughs> um... <laughs> So Jesus has just exposed this negative impact that pride has on Christian community and reveals the heart of God to deeply value those who are struggling to flourish, right, within Christian community as a result of pride. God values those people deeply, right? And so we pick up with this parable that's really um, profound about God's action and addressing of that issue. And he says... Uh, Jesus says this, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So the parable might seem pretty straightforward. Um... There's actually a lot going on behind the scenes with this parable. Uh, If we keep in mind the knowledge that Matthew's Jewish audience brings to the table, right? So Matthew's audience would understand some references that Jesus is making that we might overlook. So two things in particular that, that Jesus is being very intentional about that we might overlook. The first is the use of the imagery of the shepherd. Shepherds played a really prominent role in the history of Israel. The people of God were nomadic for a long time. They were just journeying around um, for a long time. And shepherding was a skill that was essential to life, to survival. So historically, shepherds held this really prominent place in Jewish society. However, the role of the shepherd had evolved. The people of God had made it to the promised land. So the shepherds were no longer needed for survival. So their status dropped very quickly. So much that at the time of Matthew's writing, the shepherds are lower class, marginalized members of society, marginalized figures, figure that Jesus uses as another example of the humble posture that he wants his disciples to take toward Christian community. The disciples had previously asked, who's the greatest? Jesus tells them to become like a child who has no status, who's only concerned with their dependence on the Father, and now Jesus reinforces that theme of humility, how should we act We should become like shepherds, lowly members of society only concerned with the well-being of the sheep, right? He's speaking to the leaders of the Christian community. Right? So that's the first connection to Jewish, to the Jewish audience that, that they would have noticed Jesus referring to. Um, that shepherds are the sign of humility. Um, and Jesus is making a big statement about humility there. Only concerned with the well-being of those in their care. Not concerned with pride and, and other pursuits. Right? It, it's in line with what Jesus has been teaching in the verses previous. The other very notable connection is... Um, To the Jewish audience, is this intentional parallel that Jesus makes to an Old Testament passage in Ezekiel? Um, Ezekiel has been tasked, Ezekiel the prophet has been tasked to address the leaders of Israel. And this is going to sound familiar address the leaders of Israel who have failed in cultivating a flourishing community among the people of God because of their pride. Right? The passage is. The passage gives us a lot of insight into what's happening in our parable. I'm going to read from Ezekiel 34. I want you to hear the similarities of what's going on that Jesus is warning against. Ezekiel says this, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd." And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Essentially, the leaders of Israel allowed pride to corrupt their community. And Jesus puts their failure on display in front of the disciples. Pride had caused the community of the people of God to be completely overtaken and brought to ruin. The people of God were hurting and broken, and the community did not take care of them, right? The leaders did not take care of them. The leaders were not concerned with the well-being of the community. They weren't concerned with seeking out those who were struggling, only the well-being of themselves, and Jesus is pointing out once again the direct relationship between pride and a flourishing community, and they don't go together, Right? However, the passage doesn't stop there. It's not this dreadful message for the disciples that he's setting them up for failure. Ezekiel will go on and says, For thus says the Lord God. And this is where we, we see our um, similarities, our parallel to our, our parable. Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of the sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, I will bind up the injured, I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice." There's a picture of flourishing Christian community that God is establishing in the people of Israel at the time and now um, in this Christian community. Where the leaders of Israel have previously failed in preserving the community, God steps in to establish his own original design for human flourishing in Christian community. He is the perfect shepherd who seeks out the little ones, the outcasts, those who are struggling, those who are marginalized in community, those who have gone astray. Jesus is not here tasking the disciples to create Christian community for him. He's teaching them what it looks like to join the mission of God, where pride may have blinded the disciples and blinded those in Christian community to those who are struggling in their midst. God grants them humility to open their eyes so that they can be intentional to pursue those who are struggling in community with them, those little ones whom God deeply values and cherishes. God grants humility to open our eyes so that we can look around and see who is struggling among us and how can we be intentional to pursue them. Jesus is teaching his disciples that cultivating a Christian community is a humble act of intentionally seeking out those who are not focusing on, or those who are not flourishing in community. Intentionally seeking out those not flourishing in community. The focus of the parable is on the intentionality of the shepherd. The shepherd doesn't wait for the sheep to wander back. The shepherd looks for the sheep. The shepherd doesn't care about their sense of status or prestige. They don't have any. The shepherd cares about the well-being of the sheep shepherd doesn't pursue joy that comes from prideful pursuits. The shepherd experiences a profound joy when a lost sheep is found. The shepherd does everything they can to preserve their community. And here Jesus presents another really beautiful image of Christian community. There is no hierarchy. There is no status in the community. The aim of Christian community is that everyone together within the community, would flourish. All right? It's the work of God actively through the members of the community to be intentional to make sure that happens. So God equips the disciples and he equips the Christian community to be intentional to ensure that everyone in the community is flourishing. So that's going to bring up another time where we can pause and reflect. All right? So take your phones out again. Um, the parable, as you do that, and as there 's going to be some questions up here, parable uh, reveals uh, god 's purpose of Christian community that everyone should flourish, but also that God works through the community to make that happen. So with that in mind, I have two questions: The first question is, if you are flourishing in Christian community, who is someone that you know, someone specific that you know that God has placed on your heart to be intentional to pursue someone struggling someone in your community that you could pursue? What does it look like to be intentional with that person? What makes it difficult? Right. Really practical here. And the second question is, if you're someone who's struggling to flourish in Christian community, what is it that's keeping you from flourishing? And who's someone you can talk to about it? So I'll give you a little bit of time to journal through that, think about who those people are, and we'll circle back in about... Couple seconds. Alright, um, so far we've journeyed through the heart of God for a Christian community, right? We saw that pride elevates the self to the detriment of the people around us in such a way that it devalues people um, and devalues the value that God has placed on people. Next, we just journeyed through the intentionality of God to establish Christian community. We saw that um, the purpose of Christian, Christian community is that everyone should flourish, right, and that God actively works within the community to make that happen, um, to seek out those who are struggling and lost. And that takes us to our last verse in the passage that I'm going to read now for us. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Here Jesus is going to Put the character of God on display for the disciples and reveal the theological source for everything he's been teaching up to this point. Not just in the parable, but th- from verse 1 all the way through. Right? The theological source for everything he's been teaching. God, in his sovereign will, has ordained that human beings should flourish in selfless and loving community. And he's making that happen according to his will and purposes. So God's design is that people flourish in community, nothing else. Therefore, there is no amount of prideful ambition, no pursuit of status, no pursuit of fame, glory, power, prestige, that will deter God from accomplishing that will. Right? There's no sin that's too great to outpace the will of God, that all his people should be found in him and experience flourishing community without the intentionality of God to pursue our own hearts, right? we are all subject to pride, we're all subject to being in direct contradiction to God's intended purpose for humanity when it comes to the community of believers. Without his activity in our lives, we all look to God and exclaim to him that we know better in our pride, that we know what's truly best for us, we know how to flourish outside of his original design, and yet he pursues us anyway because it's his will and purpose to do so. All right? without God working in our hearts and in our minds, we are stuck in our pride. We are trapped in our sin. We are unable to experience the joys of the orig- the community of the church is mission the community of the church is missional in nature. We looked at the heart of God for Christian community, saw that pride elevates the self and causes um, suffering to people around me in a way that devalues the value God has for them. We looked at the intentionality of God to establish Christian community, the purpose of Christian community, that everyone should flourish and that God's within that. And then finally, we looked at the character of God, that he's the source of Christian community, and we saw that nothing will stand in the way of God's for humanity. And my encouragement is this— we, we journeyed through the passage. There was a lot of information. I encourage you to meditate on what you journaled through today or which, what stood out to you that you heard today. And if something stood out to you, I really encourage you to take that to your Christian community. Right? Maybe it's your tribe or someone you're doing life with. Right? The whole point of Jesus' teaching is to highlight the value of Christian community, to highlight the great joy you can experience in community with one another. So the things that you're working through, the things that you're experiencing when you're talking about pride, take those things and take them to your tribes, take them to the people that you're close with, and experience joy in Christian community as you work those things out. God designed us to flourish in community. So I really encourage you to be vulnerable with those things. Share in the mission and joy of God to cultivate his original design on earth for humanity. Um, and do that uh, with the people you're doing life with. Um, so that's all I've got. I'm going to close this in prayer, and then I'll let you guys do your thing. Father, thank you so much for this time that we have together. Thank you for your word that cuts to our hearts and um, encourages us to pursue you. Um, in new and profound ways. We ask that you would be glorified as we continue to worship you uh, today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.